0: This is In Conversation from Network Reorient, in association with Reorient Journal and the Critical Muslim Studies Project. In the first episode of Season 5, I sit down with Sindra Bagstad to reflect on the 10th anniversary of the Breivik attack in Norway. Assalamu alaykum, everyone. Uh, welcome to uh, the, an episode on ten years after the Breivik attack. Uh, I'm here, I'm uh, fortunate to be joined by uh, Dr. Sindra Bangstad uh, from Norway, who will be discussing this with me. Uh, so, do you want to introduce yourself, Sindra?
1: Yeah, thank you very much and walaikum salaam. Uh, I'm very pleased to be on uh, your, your podcast. My name is Sindra Bangstad, I'm a social anthropologist I'm a research professor at an independent research institute in Oslo, Norway, uh, which uh, uh, goes by the name of KIFO, or the Institute for Church, Religion and Worldview Research. I'm also the author of the 2014 Anders Breivik and the Rise of Islamophobia, which was published by uh, Z Books uh, and Chicago University Press in 2014.
0: Okay, thank you for joining us, uh, Sindra. I just wanted to um, start off, obviously, for those of our viewers or listeners, I should say, who are perhaps unaware. Uh, could you please tell us what happened 10 years ago on Utøya Island in Norway? Yeah, uh,
1: well, uh, the critical uh, events um, on July 22nd, 2011. And just to take you shortly back to uh those days uh this was actually the worst uh terrorist attack in modern norwegian history and uh you know norway is a relatively small uh, and peaceful and peripheral country uh in 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 the upper mo- uh upper north of, of of europe and so this is one of the rare occasions in which uh, events taking place in norway um reach uh, international media attention. Uh, So what happened uh, on that uh, tragic day uh, was that a a white Norwegian right-wing extremist in his early thirties from Oslo West uh, first set off uh, a fertilizer bomb attack at government headquarters in Oslo uh, where uh, eight people lost their lives and many more were, were injured. Uh, the government headquarters, the building of the, the government headquarters was completely uh, shattered uh, and is still not uh, fully reconstructed 10 years after. Uh, he then uh, proceeded unhindered uh, to uh, a small island um the island of Utaya, which is some 60 kilometers from Oslo. Uh, And at Utaya, uh, the annual summer camp of the then-governing social democratic Labour Party youth organization was taking place. So a lot of uh, teenagers, uh, and and, and this is important to point out, right? Uh, So the perpetrator was a right-wing extremist. Um, He attacked young Norwegian social democrats on the basis that he wanted to instigate a civil war uh, not only in Norway, but throughout Europe, which would ultimately lead to uh, the ethnic cleansing uh, of Muslims from uh, Norway and Europe. The uh, sort of rationale behind his actions uh, was that uh, in his view? Uh, it was social democrats in power uh, that had uh, permitted Muslims to settle in Norway in the first place uh, as labor migrants in the 1960s and later, you know, through uh, uh, refugee resettlement processes in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, um, and, and onwards. And at Utøya Island, he uh, arrived dressed as a a Norwegian police officer. So uh, those attending the Labour Party youth uh, camp were, you know, teenagers uh, down to the age of 13. There were even children on the island. Uh, The the, the youngest person on the island on that day uh, was only nine years old. Um, And so in the course of uh, a shooting spree that lasted for well over an hour, he shot and killed uh, some 79 uh, people on the island, um, most of them teenagers. Uh, I believe the median age of of those murdered on Utah was uh, uh, close to 16 years, if I'm not completely mistaken. And they were completely defenceless. Of course, uh, this was uh, not uh, a, a summer youth camp that had uh, ever been, you know, the fo- focus on, on of, of any, you know, police uh, protection, um, because most people had assumed that this kind of thing uh, simply doesn't happen in in Norway.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. I just wanted to uh, kind of pick on a few things um, you said there just to kind of get a sense of uh, what the aftermath was like as well, what the reaction was. Um, you said that Breivik was very much uh, one of his motivations, I should say, was mm-hmm. that he wanted to create a, um, a civil war, Yeah, which yeah. Uh, you said he believed would, Uh, lead to the ethnic cleansing of Muslims. I want to know, how far was this narrative pushed back against? Was there actually anything that was done to push back against this explicitly? Or was it simply just generally tied all together in responses uh, to the attack?
1: Well, it's fair to say, and and a lot of us were were sort of saying that uh, in, also in the immediate aftermath, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that um, uh, Norwegian public attention uh, unfortunately came to be concentrated less on uh, his right-wing extremist ideological motivations and, and the obviously you know, racist and Islamophobic elements mm. of that uh, right-wing extremist ideology. Uh, and more on, on on questions relating to the uh, social psychological makeup of the perpetrator, uh, as well as uh, you know uh, a technocratic uh, question relating to um, the obvious failures of Norwegian police uh, to prevent this and Norwegian police security services to prevent this attack from from happening. Um, and and so that in a sense also sidetracked uh, the debate uh, that many of us thought that uh, you know Norway should now uh, be, be be having. And it's also uh, one also has to understand here that uh, it was the governing Labour so- Party that had been attacked, and and this party. Uh, has been a dominant political force in Norway ever since uh, World War Two, um, and and so the Labour Party very much sees itself historically uh, as representing the the national interest, if you like, the wider interest of, of 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 Norway as a society, right? So the messages put up out by the then secretary, uh, the then. Uh, Prime Minister Jens Stoltenberg, and later Secretary General of NATO, uh, Jens Stoltenberg, uh, was one of national unity. In other mm. words, uh, and we know for a fact that uh, internally, within the Labour Party, it was particularly the Labour Party youth that wanted to have this debate. Uh, and in the senior ranks of, of the Labour Party itself, which is also also always seen itself as you know, the less radical uh, and more moderate uh, part of uh, the labor movement in, in, in Norway, uh, the Labour Party youth organization has historically been uh, quite to the left of, of its mother party, the Labour Party. Mm. Uh, and, and, and so we know for a fact that uh, there was a lot of messages being put out from, from senior level that uh, they didn't want this uh ideological uh, reckoning if mm. if you
0: like okay that's very interesting um that they didn't want this ideological reckoning that's uh it'd be interesting does does anyone know why does it was any reasoning given for this well to have such an
1: ideological reco- reckoning was very much seen as 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 uh uh, being counterpoised to uh, uh, creating, and, and, and obviously that was, you know, a pragmatic decision at the time, and uh, to have, uh, you know, national unity
0: mm. uh,
1: and, and a process of, of, of sort of... Uh, Yeah, national reconciliation uh, around the uh, what uh, the overwhelming majority of Norwegians actually can agree on, which is you know the uh, unacceptability of of of, uh, violence and political terror, right?
0: Hmm. Okay. Um, I just want to kind of uh, shift the timeline a bit to now uh, the court case. Well, the. Brevik's day in court, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. So in court, much like what you've already uh, kind of mentioned, Breivik said that he wanted to prevent the Islamization of Norway. And as you've already said, and as we've already kind of discussed, he wanted to trigger a civil war uh, in Norway. I just wanted to kind of ask, what parallels do you see uh, between what Breivik was saying, and other strains of far-right uh, ideology, both in Europe and the US. Do you see a connection there, or is this all just kind of a lone wolf thing, even ideologically?
1: Well, well, I do think, you know, f- first of all, <laughs> uh, it has to be, be said that, you know, uh, much like other Nazis, right, because uh, fascism, European fascism, is the tradition in which uh Bravik stands, right? So in court he lauded uh you know any number of of uh Norwegian fascists and and Nazis uh going back to to Quisling uh this famous uh you know Nazi collaborationist uh, prime minister who was executed after World War II for for treason uh because he established a puppet government uh when the German Nazis invaded Norway on April 9th, uh, nineteen forty, uh, uh, and um, so uh, uh, there is no doubt about the ideological lineage. Uh, but it also has to be said that you know his the track that he put out uh, ahead of uh, the terrorist attacks. Uh, he put this online. Uh, Shortly before executing the first uh, terrorist attack at, at government headquarters, uh, is very much a sort of cut and paste track, right? But mm. uh, if we go to back to say even the writings of of of, of Hitler, right? Uh, Hitler was also a, a, a cut and paste person when it comes to when it came to ideology, right? Uh, so mm. take up uh various strands in in european fascism and and, and so there is a, a long historical lineage here of which uh, Breivik uh is certainly uh certainly part and um and i think if you look at uh, what has transpired in the aftermath of Breivik, you obviously can see traces of uh, Bravik's thinking in uh, the terrorist attacks uh, at Christchurch, New Zealand, and also in a failed, uh, ultimately thwarted uh, terrorist attack on uh, a mosque in Barum, outside of Oslo, uh, perpetrated by yet another uh, Norwegian right-wing extremist in, on August 10, uh, 2019. This was uh, uh, Philip Munn's house. Mm. Okay, you know, even though the modus operandi was different, uh, right? Uh, they share some of the same, uh, a lot of the same uh, ideas. You know, uh, the idea of of there being some kind of threat of Norway and, and Europe uh, and, and the wider West being over overtaken by Muslims. Uh, I mean, in Breivik's case, it was obviously the Eurabia conspiracy theory. Mm. Uh, in, in Manso's case, we are moving closer to, uh, you know, far right identitarianism, uh, which also applies to to Tennant, uh, uh, and and the idea of you know the classical Nazi idea of a race war. Um, but ultimately, these are by variations on the same, uh, you know, ideological. Themes, right?
0: Okay. Um there's <laughs> quite a lot to unpack there. Um, but I want to start off with a how can I put this? Uh, a way to approach these things. I want to uh kind of talk about the the concepts that we use to describe this because I think there's been um recently there's been quite a lot of debate, and I think uh, in Britain, we, we have the uh, Plymouth attack, where the attacker was a self-described incel, which has links to um, this strain that we've just talked about with Breivik, with mm-hmm. tarrant and all. They're all kind of interrelated, where there are those now who are saying we shouldn't call uh, Breivik and others terrorists because it may lead to the expansion of uh, already draconian policies and institutions and i think in britain one of the um, examples of that would probably be prevent i'm not uh, prevent being um, Mm -hmm. where people are referred to for if they um, seem to be extremists so to speak and that we shouldn't celebrate the expansion of that by calling everybody Mm -hmm. a terrorist now i just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this uh, topic because it's something that's been uh, discussed quite heatedly <laughs> amongst mm. people who are interested in this kind of stuff. So I just wanted to get your opinion on this.
1: Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly aware of this debate and, and, and obviously there are um, uh, uh, perils in, in uh, the kind of ter- terminology uh we we use now obviously you know the standard uh definition of terrorism would be uh uh an, uh, an act of uh, uh of, of violence against uh, a civilian population uh perpetrated in order to in pursuit of uh, particular political aims um and uh, the way in which uh, the terrorism research industry has developed, it has certainly generated a lot of blind spots. Um, uh, and one of these blind spots uh, has to do with the fact that, you know, if we look at the origins, the etymology of the very term terror, it comes of course from the French that are, uh, following uh, the storming of the Bastille and the French uh, Republican revolution, Uh, and right until, you know, the establishment of the modern terrorism industry, uh, terror was more often than not used in reference to uh, the terror of states, right?
0: Mm.
1: In other words, uh, if we look at, uh, you know, what has happened in Syria, And if we look at, say, the apartheid regime in South Africa, uh, we might also include, uh, you know, uh, certain sides of of, of policies pursued by uh, the state of Israel. Then, uh, (laughs) uh, if we are not willing to apply the term terror to uh, some. Mm. Of, 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 of these policies, uh, then uh, we we risk losing uh, a sense of meaning, right? So uh, it has to be acknowledged that terror can also be – it may not be perpetrated only by uh, actors who are not in possession of a sort of barbarian monopoly of violence, if you like, right? Uh, it can also be uh, pursued by by the very states who enjoy that monopoly of, of, of violence, um, mm. uh, and, and so our terms that certainly require much thinking th- through. Another aspect of, of what I think has been uh, lost a bit in with the development of the modern terrorism industry uh, is, of course, that. Uh, there's a very strong sense uh, in which, uh, and you, you certainly have that phenomenon in Norway as well, uh, that uh, the way in which uh, terror perpetrated by Muslims or, or people of Muslim background uh, are read and interpreted uh, differ from that of right-wing extremists, right? So mm-hmm. there's a, a strong tendency to read the latter as being uh, a product of uh, social psychological rather than ideological factors uh, and perpetrators of terror or Muslim background to be acting out of ideological convictions and or religious convictions right Mm. and so we need to guard against those uh, tendency I'm when it comes to the term terror itself I'm I'm inclined to be a bit more pragmatic right because uh, I, I i do think that you know bra Breivik and and Tarrant and man qualifies as, as as terrorists right
0: mm.
1: uh, if we look at, at at their actions um but i also uh, one also has to look at um and i, and I think you know the uh the way counter radicalization has worked in a lot of Western countries, uh, and and you mentioned prevent in this context, I, I would also, you know, readily refer to the way in which this has has worked in the U.S., uh, where most of the attention has been focused on uh, Muslims as potential uh, perpetrators of 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 terror and political violence. Uh, Now, the historical record from Norway tells you that practically any uh, uh, terrorist attack perpetrated, uh, any, if you like, successful, (laughs) uh, Mm. quote, terrorist attack uh, in modern Norwegian history uh, has, in fact, been perpetrated by right-wing extremists. Uh, In Norway, as well as in a number of uh, Western countries, there was, in fact, a lot of fears uh, generated by the terrorism industry and by the media relating to, uh, you know, so-called firearm fighters. In other words, uh, Norwegians of Muslim background who had uh, traveled to Syria and Iraq to uh, to join uh, ISIS or Al-Qaeda
0: hmm.
1: after two th- uh, 2012. So part of what also, part of the equation in Norway is also that, uh the year after Breivik, uh, public and media attention uh, with the onset of the civil war in Syria started uh, to be redirected re- back to uh, Muslims as p- p- potential perpetrators of violence and, and, and terror. And if you look mm-hmm. at uh, counterterrorism legislation introduced in Norway, uh, that counterterrorism legislation. Uh, and we're talking about Norwegian General Pen- Penal Code, uh, paragraph 146 and 147. That came about in uh, 2012, uh, not as a result of uh, political responses to Breivik's terrorist attacks, but as uh, in response to uh, the threat of, the alleged threat of, of uh uh terror related to uh Muslim, uh Norwegians of Muslim background traveling to, to Iraq and Syria um, mm. to ISIS and Al-Qaeda.
0: Okay. I want to kind of bring two strands together now and ask probably um the question that's kind of been the elephant in the room uh yeah. so to speak. And I think um When you were giving the um, background to uh, the attack, to what we're talking about, you mentioned that um, the rulers of Norway or the leaders of Norway at the time didn't want to have that ideological uh, discussion. And here you've also mentioned that a year after uh, the Breivik attack happened, uh, the media attention was diverted back to uh, the Muslim or the other as Mm. the violent savage, basically. Mm. Now, I want to ask, how far do you think that these two actions are in protection of, um, basically, white supremacy?
1: No, I mean, uh, Breivik's uh, and Manso's ideology uh, was certainly shot through with uh, white supremacist ideas, you know. Mm. Racist ideas, there's absolutely no doubt about that, right? Mm. The idea, the very idea here that, uh, you know, uh, Norway and the European continent has to be uh, protected against racialized others, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, But I think what I was more asking is the fact that, um, that even outside of Breivik, Uh, So, for example, the uh, leadership who didn't want to have that ideological discussion and the media that immediately, well, sort of immediately just refocused on uh, the other as the violent savage. Do you not think there's an element there of um, protection of that kind of ideology? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, mean, one has to be specific about this, you know, (laughs) but... uh, Uh, I mean part of the problem uh, in in Norway and this is a persistent problem right Uh, there's been a tendency uh, in the Norwegian media in Norwegian politics and in the Norwegian public at large to exceptionalize uh, white supremacist and and racist ideas Mm. so uh, the idea here is that as as long as you can say that uh, you know uh these are marginal so-called lone wolf actors, mm. and their acts and their thought uh, do not reflect anything at all <laughs> about Norwegian mm. society. then uh, of course, you know your your your... Uh, you're off if you uh, if you you're
0: off, you're off. Yes. There,
1: There's no yes. sense of, of, of general and common responsibility to fight it either, uh, because uh, it simply isn't about us. You know the the Norwegian majority, which happens to be you know predominantly white, <laughs> mm. uh, but uh, you know anyone who's been looking into uh, say. Uh, Anti-Muslim attitudes in, in Norway, uh, public uh, ser- opinion uh, surveys know perfectly well that some of these these ideas, uh, and uh, if you like the uh, the people who regard it as 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 very problematic that Norway has in the course of the last forty years. Turned into a much more multicultural and multi-religious society, uh, th- those sentiments are, are much more widespread. Right? Mm. We well, you know, for for example, from a, a good survey uh, undertaken by the uh, uh, Holocaust Center, uh, which is aligned with the University of Oslo um, in Norway, that uh, well over thirty percent. Of Norwegians, uh, as recently as in 2018, uh, agree with the sentiment that uh, Muslims uh, are in, in in Norway and in Europe in in order to uh, to take over, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and this is, of course, you know, it, it, it's it's a troubling, very troubling statistics. If you want to argue that that. Uh, uh, that there are no lines between, uh, you know, wider sentiments in the in the population and, and, and white supremacists in, in, in Norway.
0: Mm. Okay. I want to kind of um, go in two directions again based on what you've said. Um, I think we'll do uh, the lone wolves on first. So obviously you mentioned that uh, there's a view... That um, basically white violence is exceptional. It doesn't really have any links to anything else. And then we just need to focus back on where violence usually comes from. Um, mm-hmm. If I understood you correctly. Now I want to actually kind of look at what disrupts that. And I think we've kind of uh, we've discussed it a bit previously, but I want to go more uh into this. So uh the Christchurch attacker, Tarrant and others. have claimed to be inspired by Breivik, what are we to make of these links? And I think you mentioned uh, that the youth wing of the Labour Party is a lot more left-wing. I remember reading, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong on this, where they expressed concern that Breivik was uh, becoming a figure of inspiration uh, for far-right attacks. And this was even before... Um, the Christchurch attack happened, and before quite a few attacks happened. So I just want to know what are we to make of these links? Then, yeah,
1: well, uh, certainly, Mainz has, uh House uh, claimed to be inspired by 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 Breivik. Uh, mm. I, I, I think you know, in in the lineage that uh, Tarrant uh, tried to to establish, there was also. Uh, you know, some kind of of, of link to Breivik. Um, mm. um, so it's not a, a case, I think, of, you know, sort of very direct and causal inspiration, but, um, uh, but I, I, there's certainly, you know, uh, this is part of, you know, a transnational online uh, far-right extremist uh, world of ideas, if you like, right? Mm. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, exchange uh, and and uh, sharing of ideas uh, taking in uh, taking place within these uh, far right online networks. Uh, which is basically to say that, you know, obviously the the, the idea of the lone wolf terrorist uh, doesn't, it, it isn't a very useful term when it comes to uh, the very fact that these are, are, are mm. in, in profound respects, even though they may be uh, very lonely and troubled characters. uh that they are, are, you know, stand alone, uh, that they are not part of a crowd,
0: you know. Hmm. Okay. Um, and another. Um, I said we were going to go t- down two paths, so that's the first one. Um, and I think, secondly, I just want to kind of ask you, so 10 years on, we're in 2021 now, what is the general mood in Norway regarding the far-right and Muslims? I know you uh, quoted some... Uh, Surveys from the Holocaust Center uh, earlier on, but what is the general kind of mood?
1: Well, I do think uh, that in there are some positive signs. So, so uh, there's also been countervailing uh, tendencies. We've, we've had a, a you know right-wing coalition government in in power Norway uh, mm. for the top eight years, and and that also you know it was not only the the uh, uh, The Labour Party in in power, which didn't necessarily want this ideological reckoning, that ideological reckoning, of course, became even more difficult when uh, the Progress Party, of which Breivik had, in fact, been uh, a signed-up member for uh, for 10 years, uh, got into government in a right-wing coalition government uh, led by the uh, uh, Conservative Party in Norway in uh, 2013. Uh, now it appears we were having new uh, parliamentary elections uh, in, in Norway uh, on September 13 this year uh, and it seems at the moment that uh, there's a real chance that the government uh, may, may, uh, may fall uh, as a result of the parliamentary elections. Um, uh, but, um, uh, there's also been, you know, uh, countervailing, uh, tendencies. I think if I were to highlight, you know, um, a couple of things here, uh, I would, uh, like to draw attention to the fact that, um, as a re- direct result of, of, uh, the terrorist attacks in 2011, uh, Norwegian police started, uh, to pay much more attention to uh, and uh, properly investigate and also prosecute hate crimes uh, Mm. in in Norway. Uh, And so uh, Oslo police, which took a sort of pioneering role here, uh, they actually established the first hate crimes unit in uh, Norway in the capital of, of oslo uh, back in 2013 and that has led to uh, quite a significant rise of hate crimes re- registrations right so hate crimes right re- registrations nationally have actually re- uh, risen by by uh close to 200 percent since then mm. uh, and what is important about that is also uh, and at the risk of, of, of sounding, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm very sympathetic to the, to the state and, and to Norwegian <laughs> police authorities, uh, I, I, I do think that that has had a measurable effect in terms of um, increasing uh, Norwegian Muslims' confidence in, in the police, right? Because mm. against Muslims are now uh, investigated and prosecuted to a far greater extent than they ever were before. Uh, Breivik and the terrorist attacks of 2011. Uh, now, secondly, there's also been uh, a lot of uh, anti racist initiatives, um, not necessarily directly related to this issue, but uh, Norway, in fact, saw a very significant uh, and, and, and huge mobilization in support of uh, the global protests against police killings. Of african-americans uh after uh the police murder of george uh, floyd in the us uh, mm. in uh, in june 2020 uh, so there were actually in, in oslo uh some 30,000 uh norwegians of all creeds and colors on the streets of of oslo uh, and lastly i would like to uh also um mention the fact that the Labour Party Youth Organization and um, survivors from the massacre at Utrea mm. have actually, in the 10 years that we have, that have now gone, uh, played a hugely significant role in uh, making the case for the necessity of an ideological reckoning. So this year, uh, has seen the outpouring of a number of survivors' ac- accounts, uh, which are very important because they all, all uh, they all uh, focus a great deal of, of attention on the need to f- for the this ideological uh, reckoning, uh, and this is hugely important also because uh, this comes as at a cost for them. We know from Uh, research undertaken on the experiences of survivors from uh, the UTI attacks, that some three out of five survivors uh, aligned with the Labour Party Youth Organization have uh, experienced, you know, hatred and and, and threats uh, Mm. as a result of speaking publicly about all of this, right? Mm. In a situation in which you know they, many of them battle, run a daily battle, an unending battle with you know uh, the mental and physical s- scars that they have uh, as a result of this massacre. Um, that is hugely significant.
0: Mm. Yeah. Of course. Well, uh, I just want to say thank you very much, Sindra, for your input. It's been very uh, enlightening. <laughs> um, so I just want to say thank you very much again, and I uh, hope that everything goes well with you. Thank you okay. very much for having me on your podcast. All right, no worries. Okay. Bye. 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 This is another episode of In Conversation, brought to you by Network Reorient, the podcast arm of Critical Muslim Studies. Thank you for tuning in. Have a listen to our other episodes and please leave a like and a rating.